Hey, Chicago Fire fans, this is Nick with the Feed the Fire podcast, and we are recapping the Chicago Fire's latest match at home against FC Cincinnati. Yes, we are going to relive the disappointment of the Chicago Fire blowing a late lead. Oh my gosh, it's deja vu over all over again, right? This is a problem with the Fire blowing late leads, giving up late goals. They were up 2 nothing, or not 2 nothing. they were up two goals getting into the 84th minute, and then it all kind of fell apart. Well, we're going to take a look at how it happened, why it happened, what we can expect going forward, and kind of what specific changes need to be made. Um, and then if we have a little time at the end of the episode, we'll touch on a couple headlines uh, from the fire and from around the league. First of all, thank you to Skira Icelandic Spring Water for being our sponsor of the show and supporting what we do here at Feed the Fire and just for talking Chicago Fire and MLS with us each and every week. Um, we've got a segment coming up from John Donovan, our featured guest, about halfway through the show. He's going to give you his takes on all things fire. But now let's get into this 3-3 debacle, disappointment, just awful way to end the week as the Chicago Fire and the fan base. Um, if the NCAA upsets weren't enough to, to upset you, busting your bracket and having your team go down, then yeah, the Fire sure took care of it for you. As I mentioned, 3-3 three to three draw, the Fire go up. 3-1 early in the second half in the 46th minute and then are able to bungle it all away by the end of the match. Yeah, usually it's Cincinnati teams bungling things, right? Anyway, let me give you my first half thoughts here. To begin, let me quickly mention the official here, the head ref, Fotis Bazakos. Not because of anything he did with the whistle or with the cards. I think he officiated a pretty good match, but, you know, he's Greek. So am I. So it's my cultural obligation to mention the fact when there is someone of prominence in the community who happens to be Greek. So Fotis Bazakos, fellow countryman, keep doing what you're doing. Keep up the great work. Represent the people well. Now let's get into the actual fire talk here, right? Jardin Shakiri did not play for the fire. He was unavailable due to some hamstring issues, I believe. Um, but it was great seeing Gutierrez playing centrally, kind of pulling the strings for the team offensively covering a lot of ground. You heard Tyler Terrence on the broadcast say it too, that Guti, that's one of the biggest differences between having Gutierrez in central midfield than Shakiri is Guti covers ground. He can press and then he can get back and help out on defense. And when he gets the ball, he can drive it forward, both with passing and with his dribbling. Hopefully it sticks given the result. Now, We've heard people calling for Shakiri to be put on the wing. We've heard people calling for Gutierrez to be more central. And I think Gutierrez plays more centrally when he's with the U.S. youth national teams, which we could see coming up soon. Uh, however, what do you do with Shakiri when he is out on the wing? We all know he's not here to play defense. And I'm not going to fault the guy for not you know, going 110 miles an hour, giving 110% defensively. It's not why he's here. Right, you don't bring a guy like Shakiri here to play defense. That's why you have Rafa Chihos uh, back there coordinating. It's why you have our, and why you're developing some excellent goal, young goalkeepers, and why you have Gaston Jimenez playing a central defensive mid role. Right, whether that's a good signing or a bad signing, whether he's up for it or not is a different discussion. But you don't have Shakiri here to play defense, so maybe you do get him out on the wing. Maybe that's better that he is playing on the wing, and hopefully Ezra and the rest of the coaching staff. Maybe even some of the players are taking note of what Gutierrez can do when he has a lot more touches and a lot more opportunity to kind of dictate 
the the flow of the game, the pace of the game, and and where they're going to play. Whether that's lobbing a long ball into a striker, whether that's having some link up play with some of the other midfielders and wingers, or whether that is trying to spring Mueller down the wing and uh, maybe draw a penalty. Oh, hey, look how that worked out for the fire, right? A couple other things in the first half you noticed. Um, Acosta didn't start for Cincinnati, which was a very lucky break for the fire because you saw what happened when he came into the game. They were absolutely right back into it. Um, but even then, Brandon Vasquez did have his share of opportunities and just couldn't find it in the back of the net. So the fire got lucky that Acosta didn't start. Vasquez didn't really have his best outing uh, that we didn't have his best outing, right? We know he can find the back of the net, and he probably should have at least twice in this game. And had Acosta been there with him, it probably would have happened. Um, also, I noticed the fire did have some better passing in moments, uh, but they, rather than last week where a lot of their passing was in the defensive third and the defensive half, a lot of their passing in this match was in the middle of the field, which was a little bit of a progress, right? And you can look at their passing chart on MLSsoccer.com that it wasn't that real narrow right in the middle, passing the ball in the middle where we saw last week. They actually got the ball out to the wings a little bit more. But again, what to do to get that ball into the offensive third? Do they want to build and have possession? Do they want to launch counterattacks? Do they want to just whip in crosses? We've seen them try a little bit of everything. I'm not sure what their offensive identity is. I'm not sure what exactly Ezra is trying to have them do as far as what's your first choice option, second choice option. Uh, we haven't seen a lot of those late arriving runs from third from third attacking players into the box as much. It's like the fire are relying on a lone striker, long ball, and set pieces, and not been working out for them. Not been working out for them. Um, also an observation in the first half, uh, Carlos Tarani gets an early yellow card, so discipline may still be an issue with the fire. Uh, they got five yellow cards in this match, I, I believe, if, if the website is correct. Um, and the reputation that the fire are getting with officials is not improving. Now I'll give you Mueller did get the PK call and there might be other officials who maybe overturned it on VAR or who just let it go. Uh, but in this case, it worked out in his favor. Uh, and just, we'll talk about that particular goal a little bit more. Um, the Cincinnati controlled the first half hour of the game too, uh, which is surprising when the fire are playing at home in front of a boisterous crowd of 7,800 people or so. Yeah, can't can't say that without trailing off. Can't say that with a straight face. But still, you're the home team. You can't let your opposition come in, score a goal in the eighth minute, deflection or not. It was lazy passing that led to the turnover that led to the shot. And then you can't let your opposition continue to control the game. Until they got the goal, Cincinnati controlled. Until the fire scored, Cincinnati controlled this game. Now looking in the second half, we can start at the end of the second half, right? The fire don't know how to close out a game. Um, and we're going to talk about some of Ezra's post-game comments about that. Uh, they don't know how to close out a game. They don't know how to play a full 90 minutes yet. And the problem is they didn't do that last year. So there has been no improvement. There's been no improvement in a lot of areas in the fire from last season to this season, which does not bode well for the remaining 31 games, right? Also, the Fire scored in the 46th minute, the first minute of the second half they scored, and Cincinnati came at them. They came harder, and then when they had that disallowed goal, I think in the 50th, maybe 55th minute, they went even harder. It's not like they got discouraged, and they ended up getting the two goals to equalize and get the point. 
Now let's look at those goals. The first goal scored in the eighth minute by Moreno for Cincinnati was a counterattacking goal. Turnover, lazy passing from the fire, leads to a shot. And yes, it does take an unfortunate deflection. Brady's diving right, ball bounces back left. But the fire have to do better early in the game as well as at the end of the game, and be better with their passing. I talked about it last week. They need to complete more passes, and they need to have better possession in the middle third of the field. They tried it. They got a little better, but this was so lazy that it caused a turnover early on. Get your head in the game from the first whistle. Keep it in the game till the last whistle. The Fire thankfully get a goal in the first half to equalize and kind of saw the half out, in fact, go ahead at the end of the half. Uh, Shabilko scores in the 32nd minute. Tyler Terrence was right. He needed this. Shabilko needed this goal, and the fire needed it to have confidence in their striker, to keep playing him, to keep getting him the ball, to keep looking for him. There were times at the end of last season where Chris Mueller and others, like, we can either take a low percentage shot or play a pass to our striker, Shabilko, and they opted to take the low percentage shot. So this is good that Shabilko scores the goal, reinvigorates his team's confidence in him, and keeps his confidence going. Uh, for him to take that shot shows that he still has the confidence of a high-level striker because it was not an easy shot. Uh, from the corner of the 18, one times it, is able to keep up with the play and then open his hips up and have a beautiful curling ball around Celentano to the far corner. It was beautiful, and I'm glad he got it, and he's going to keep shooting now. Hopefully he doesn't have any more where he's, like, stumbling over the ball to try and get closer to goal. Then now he knows, yep, I can still score from 20 yards out or so. The Fire get their second goal as a result of a Chris Mueller-drawn penalty kick. Great call. I can see where people might say it's a little soft, and I'm worried that Chris Mueller has the reputation of going down too easy. But in this case, he's at the edge of the 18 in the corner, he turns back to the middle of the field like he's going to play across and then cuts down to the touchline. Beautiful deke of the defender. The defender is beat. And I agree with the broadcast team. Why is the defender trying to recover and either make a tackle against Mueller uh, or body up Mueller? He needs to be getting back into position in front of the ball to block the pass. Instead, again, he tries to make a play on the player in the 18, does not go well. Mueller feels the contact, goes down. PK, properly awarded. Chihos buries it. Well, maybe buries it isn't the right word. He puts it straight down the middle where he's known to go to. Celentano actually, I think, gets a toe on it. Thankfully, there was just enough pace for it to continue going into the net, and hopefully there would have been a follow-up runner had not that not been the case. Uh, but I don't like our center back taking PKs. I don't like that our center back, not his fault, is one of the most involved players in set pieces and corners. Works for Walker Zimmerman, not for Chicago Fire, right? Nashville still has Hani Mukhtar, Anibal Godoy, and a whole host of other guys who can find the back of the net. Chicago Fire have not proven to be an offensive powerhouse yet. Uh, so I'm glad Chihos is involved when he's there, but we need other guys stepping up, taking great penalty kicks, as well as getting involved in the offense. Fire's third goal, again, Chris Mueller is involved. And hopefully this is a recurring theme for the Fire, that Chris Mueller is involved in some goal scoring uh, going forward. It's in the 46th minute. Essentially, how the Fire gave up their first goal is how they got their third goal. Uh, Cincinnati was real lazy starting the second half. The kickoff 
goes back to the center mid, goes out to the wing. The winger tries to play a pass, and the fire intercept it. Three passes later, Mueller takes the shot, rocket to the top back corner, and the fire are now up 3-1 to one at the beginning of the second half. Everyone's feeling good. The problem is FC Cincinnati were also feeling really good. They make the right substitutions. They get that disallowed goal in the 50th, and they realize, nope, we're not going to get down because we had a goal disallowed, but we actually have got the fire right where we want them, scrambling defensively, and they keep pressing, and Santos gets one in the 84th, and Moreno gets one in the 87th. Acosta with a beautiful assist on uh, the goal to Santos, I believe. Kind of similar to how Rooney played in with that spectacular one back in D.C. a couple of seasons ago. That's the range Acosta's passing from. It was gorgeous. Got to give Cincy credit. And I have to also point out the fire just fell apart defensively. Now, as we always do on the show, let's take a look at the, some of the statistics here and if they kind of match up on our eye test and what we saw. Possession was about even, and I think that's fair. Um, the fire had possession for a large stretch of time, uh, probably from about mid-20th minute or so through about the 50th minute, and the rest was all Cincinnati. So according to the numbers here at MLSsoccer.com, 51-49 in favor of Cincinnati. Both teams had 14 shots, but the fire only had four on goal. Uh, kind of feel bad for Chris Brady here. Cincinnati gets eight shots on goal. In addition, the fire defenders had to block seven shots. Brady comes up with five saves and still gives up three. Like, the, the kid's playing really well, but when you're giving up this many opportunities, especially when you're playing a Cincinnati team who is known to create chances, even without Lucho Acosta, it would seem early on in this game, um, Brady is going to have his work cut out for him, and the de defense did not help out much. Where the fire did improve from last week, other than just scoring three goals, uh, more total passes, 366 total passes. Their accuracy uh, went up to 71%. And if you look at the passing breakdown chart, you saw that they were actually playing more on the wings, whereas last week everything was really compact in the center of the pitch. Uh, they actually got the ball out to the wings a little bit more. And, hey, maybe that'll bode well if Ezra decides to put Shakiri on the wing and let Guti run the middle or maybe have some overlapping interplay with the two of them. That would be cool. And I bet the fire, you'd see a lot more spread out passing chart, probably a lot more passes and a higher percentage of completed passes. Uh, fire had eight corners, one offside. So they are getting a little bit more into the uh, channel areas there, getting into the attacking third and generating uh, some defensive opportunities for Cincinnati. Uh, also 14 crosses, not bad. So you see what they were trying to do uh, from an offensive perspective. Still five yellows, not not good as far on the discipline front. And I hope that the pro referees aren't going to give fire rep bad reputation, but I think we're already there. Uh, one last thing on the advanced stamp front, the Chicago Fire outperformed their expected goals. They only had a 1.8 expected goals and end up with three. However, Shabilko's goal was only a 0.07. Mueller's goal was a 0.11, so now we're at 0.18. And if you look at the PK statistics for Chihos, I think that one was about a 0.85. So you're with those three goals, um, you're already at about the the 1.8 so the fire really didn't generate too many high percentage uh chances after that and actually the ones that they converted were their lowest percentage chances if you take out the penalty kick so 
even though they scored three goals, I am still very concerned about the offense here and how they're generating opportunities. All right, with that, we're going to take our sponsor break now. Uh, I want to recognize Skira Icelandic Spring Water for supporting the show. Icelandic for clear, Skira water comes from a government-protected nature preserve in Iceland with a naturally low mineral content. This is not your average water. Clearly, pun intended, it is one of the best. And yeah, the water filtering through all that volcanic soil definitely filters out a lot of the minerals. Phenomenal Phenomenal water from Skira, especially when you're losing your voice, screaming at your favorite soccer team here. So at this point in the show, on the YouTube side, we're going to take a pause to splice in our podcast audio, our, our special podcast featured guest, John Donovan. So make sure if you're watching on YouTube, you go, you find us, follow along on Spotify and wherever else you get your podcasts. So we're going to do a quick pause. Nick, John Donovan here covering the MLS and the Chicago Fire. I, uh, don't know really what to say about this game. It was exciting. It wasn't like some of those Philly games or the New York game. This one had a lot of activity. And it, in a strange way, the game itself with all the cards and all the injuries forced Ezra into playing people in positions they know. It's not putting the catcher in the center field. It's playing a guy like Gutierrez, who is a U.S center midfielder playing him in his position um, that he plays on that team. So it forced Ezra into making the right decisions. The The, the team that started, um, I really liked it. Casper uh, Shabilko, it's left to say what he'll be doing in the future, but he did have a brilliant goal. Mueller um, played on the left wing and Haile Selassie, who... I really like, I mean, I think he will get better. He, He's a wing. He's a, a right wing. The guy knows the position. He plays like a, a right wing. It's not like having Gutierrez out there who's a center mid. So the the game itself with all of the, the activities and cards and so forth forced Ezra to put Selassie out there and Gutierrez in the center mid. And Gutierrez had a wonderful game. Now, um, the game was kind of st stuck into three different games within the game itself, if that makes any sense. The first 25 minutes of the game was all Cincy. I mean, they have brilliant uh, midfielders and forwards and passing. I just really, they they work in tight spaces and they work really well. Uh, I think that if I was their coach, I really encourage that on the offensive side. It's a beautiful thing to see. I don't like coaches that just use that tight passing to get out of the defensive area. And I think that's what kind of uh, goofed up Cincy on some of their playing. Um, they tried to play out of the of the box. So the game was one nothing. Um, Junior Moreno scored at seven minutes of the first uh, half. And for 25 minutes, it was all Cincinnati. And then for some reason, the fire started picking it up. And my conclusion is it was Gutierrez that started spraying these balls out, getting him to, to wingers that were playing wide, which we have not seen, especially if he go, tries to go back to that two front with Kai Kamara. No, I pray that, that Ezra comes back and um, plays in the, you know, it, as this game finished. But we found out a lot about this team. Um, 
Gutierrez was spectacular. I think we have another Jordi Mihalovic. I, I really do. If we let this kid play, it's going to be beautiful. Um, uh, Haile Selassie, the guy's got talent out there. Mueller, Mueller scored one of the beautiful, most beautiful goals right after the half, about a minute into the game, into the second half. The fire went into the half, up 2-1. to one. Um, Cedro scored a beautiful goal. Um, Casper scored a goal. And then Mueller scored off a cross, a beautiful cross. He had wide open shot, and it was 3-1. to one. And I thought, my gosh, the fire are doing it. But the, the announcers kept saying, we've done this before, we've done this before. But for some reason, I thought that the defense would hold strong. Um, unfortunately, I was wrong. Pat Noonan is a really good coach. He held out some of his better players. Um, I'm sure because they just played a big game out in uh, Los Angeles and won. He wanted to get some rest for his players. But come the second half, he's down 3-1. to one. He did not want to leave Chicago with a loss. So he put in Acosta and another guy up front who scores quite a bit. And Acosta laid across on the dime, and it made it a 3-3 game on the dime. Brady didn't have a shot at that at that pass. It was just a beautiful thing to see. Uh, obviously, Ezra should have been on that. He should have. I, I, I think that, uh, I think Olmsberg is still on the bench. Um, Olmsberg would have been a good replacement at that time in that second half. Tehran, seemed, Tehran had another great game. But he seemed like he was losing it a bit. You know, you you want to keep him out of these scrums because he gets those damn cards in those scrums. But, and I, you could see uh, Ezra screaming at him, Carlos, back up, back up. But I think the only way he's going to learn that is if Olmsberg comes in and takes his position for a couple of games. The guy's a great player, a great player, and he has a great future. But he's got to learn that uh, his mouth is going to kill him in this league. Um the game, you know, I, I I walked away. A lot of times, I've got to admit, I sometimes root against the fire. I'm so angry at the management of the team, the way they've treated the Chicago fans. There was nobody in the stadium. It was cold. It was uncomfortable. But you, they have that in Portland. They have that in New England. And they get people in the stands. Chicago, that game last night or... Um, Saturday night, I don't think there was 2,000 people in that stands. It was an embarrassment. Um, and it's a result of the management of the squad. There's nothing to go out there and look at. Now, if if uh, Ezra leaves this team and leaves these guys on and lets them develop and gets, gets Shakiri out, send him over to Switzerland, do something with him because he's not helping this squad. It's not good. And he plays people in positions that they they traded for. I mean, you look at, he has Shakiri playing center mid, never played center mid. He had Gutierrez on the right wing. He's terrible as a right wing. He, he hasn't done a thing. He has Torres, who won the uh, Mexican League as a center mid. They have him out in the wing. Um, it just doesn't make sense what Ezra's doing. It, but this game... He was forced into making these these changes. So hopefully this will be a permanent thing with Gutierrez. And, and really, Haile Selassie, the guy could run. He's young. I think he's 23. Um, he's developed. But our defense, the, the French guy, Suquet, 
he gave up a, a pass that turned into a goal. It was sloppy. He just doesn't have the speed for that side. Um, maybe this uh, this new player that they brought in from Pachuca can play over there because they need more speed. You got to have those overlappers. Dean, the guy that uh, they brought up from the USL, um, Ezra made a good move later in the game. Uh, Navarro, Miguel Navarro, had a yellow card, which is pretty constant, and he knew that there was a probable another card coming, so he put Dean on. And Dean proved to be a really, really good player. He made a beautiful play on a breakaway, um, took the ball right off the guy's foot, no penalty. Um, I would like to see him get a good chance. I'd like to see the guy from Pachuca get a good chance on the right side. Uh, and then Tehran and Chisolf and, um, and Olmsberg uh, work around that center mid. But we, we didn't have a lot of strength there. Maybe it was because... Uh, Jimenez didn't have such a tremendous game, or Pineda. I just, I'm wondering what's in his head right now. He's always been a really reliable player, and he didn't have one of his best games. But for me, player of the game, Gutierrez was just, he, he uh, you know, he's the one who sparked um, uh, a lot of good things that happened last year, and they should just leave him out there and see what we got. And uh, I think I wrote down, I hope I said I wanted to say hi to Mike. Um, hope everything's going good, buddy. And, uh, have a good night, Nick. And we want to thank John Donovan for all of his contributions, for his support of the show, for his key analysis here, and just the passion he brings as a fan. And if you didn't remember, John Donovan has been supporting the fire since founding, since their founding, but also played professionally, played professional soccer in Venezuela back in the seventies. So the guy's got a well-formed opinion and thank you, John, for always sharing it with us here on feed the fire. Now, just a little bit of additional fire news as we approach our 20 minute mark here, uh, post game, Ezra was asked about the team giving up late leads. And part of his answer was they need to have a better mentality to close out games. And part of it was maybe they need to be more competitive in practice to keep them competitive in these matches through 90 minutes. That concerns me because essentially Ezra is saying that the coaching staff isn't doing the things they need to do. So he is admitting that they're not prepared from a training standpoint or from a mentality standpoint. Now, you, you do got to put some of the blame on the players, right? At, at some point, just kick the ball out of bounds. Don't, you know, you saw the, the Gaston Jimenez clearance right to the Cincinnati attacker uh, at the top of the 18. You can't clear the ball to the middle. That's AYSO stuff clear it to the wings, or just bomb it, even if you bomb it out of bounds. I mean, Jimenez might have even been best served just to turn around and play it over the touchline for another corner. Now, he did, in his defense, you know, I'll try to present both sides here, he did have another Cincinnati player over his left shoulder, so he did have to do something, but he didn't have to clear it to the middle of the, the 18 where the defender or the Cincinnati attacker was waiting to fire one in the back of the net. So I'm also worried, again, that Ezra Hendrickson – who was an assistant coach with Seattle and Columbus, two teams who have had a lot of recent success, how does he not know to have a competitive training environment? That bothers me. Also in the post-game comments, uh, he says, we didn't deal well with Cincinnati's pressing at the end of the game. Well, it, 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 I, I'm stunned here. I'm speechless. It's like, yeah, obviously you didn't do well. You gave up two goals in the last 10 minutes. You lost complete control of the game at around the 50, 55th minute. Uh, and, and you blow a two goal lead at home. Obviously you didn't do that. Well, 
So you're not giving us uh, anything new and revealing here, coach. Um, but why didn't you, you know, what did you do? Why didn't you make better substitutions? Why didn't you change the formation? You know, or why didn't you tell the players just put the ball out? Why wasn't Brady like holding on to the ball when he had to make some of those saves and just like eating clock, you know, stalling, slowing down things, right? Let's get a little bit more of that gamesmanship if you want to close these games out and earn more than a terrible draw at home. Haile Selassie also gave a post-game comment where he said that in the locker room after the game, Ezra Hendrickson says, you know, you can't give up leads like that. No, duh, you can't give up leads like that. That's brilliant. In other news, the sky is blue and it rains from clouds, right? Like this is nothing sensational here, nothing revealing. But really what um, I hope Selassie is just keeping the confidentiality of the locker room and not telling us just how bad Ezra is at post-game pep talks, right? All right, that's all I'm going to say about this FC Cincinnati match. It's time to move on. Fans got to have short memories, just like players do, especially when you're a fan of the fire. A couple other notes from Chicago Fire. Uh, Sergio Orhel Jr. gets called up to the U.S. Youth National Team under-19 March camp, so he's getting some good looks uh, with the youth system. Miguel Navarro also gets called up to Venezuela's camp, uh, their senior men's team camp for some March friendlies, international friendlies. So he may miss some time with the fire. Uh, and again, the back line is going to be even thinner than it is now. So great. Something to look forward to. Looking ahead at the next match, Chicago Fire hosting Inter Miami. They're coming off a 2-0 loss to TFC. So I know they are going to be ready to play. Uh, Joseph Martinez did not have a good game. Rodolfo Pizarro made a hash of it, of what should have been an easy goal for him. So those guys are going to come in, I think, extra motivated, not going to be an easy match for the Chicago Fire. Also, if you want to get into some Inter-Miami conversation, go find the Inter-Miami podcast. They also do an, uh, it's either an Inter-Miami Away Days or Miami Away Days podcast. You can find them on Twitter, on social, and you know wherever you get your podcasts. You may even recognize their next guest if we can get the details worked out. So go check them out as we get ready for Inter-Miami. Um, other things of note around the league this weekend, St. Louis City keeps winning. They have set the record for most wins to start a season by an expansion team. Excuse me, four in a row. No expansion team has ever won their first four games. Uh, Seattle won their first three, and that's as good as it has gotten so far. But they're scoring goals. They're scoring three and four goals a game. They look legit. Additionally, uh, sticking in the Eastern Conference, excuse me, not sticking in, going to the Eastern Conference, Atlanta and Tiago Amada, they look really good. Really, really good. Tiago Amada probably is going to get sold this summer for some big money. I mean, you heard it on uh, MLS's wrap-up show that the starting price for Tiago Amada is going to be like Miguel Almarone's price ceiling. This is phenomenal. They're going to sell while he's hot and hopefully they can bring in uh, some other offensive weapons. You had um, their Greek striker, uh, Giacomakis, getting on the scoreboard finally for, for Atlanta United. I think he had one called off last week for offside with VAR. So if he's going to continue to score goals for Atlanta, then Atlanta should not hesitate to sell Diego Amato for big bucks. They're in a good position. Anyway, with that, Fire fans and MLS fans, thank you for tuning in. You could reach out to me on social media at Soccer or email me any comments, questions, things you want me to put on the show, glasshousesoccer at gmail.com. 
find us on Spotify. We were broadcasting on Anchor FM, uh, but they got bought out by Spotify. So the best way to support the show uh, and to to support what we do and to help the show move up in the Spotify world is to follow along there. We're also on YouTube as well. With that, let's get our attention to Inner Miami and look forward to hopefully the Fire's first win of the season. Fire fans, have a great week. Thank <laughs> you.